Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Tamara Thomas, editor-in-chief of UrbanHealthToday.com, part of the DocWire family of medical news sites. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Urban Health Weekly. Our goal each week is to keep you informed of the latest in health and medical news right from today's headlines. It's time to empower yourself with open conversations about your medical care with news that matters to you. So are you ready? Let's get started. I'm Tamara Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of Urban Health Today, and I'm speaking with Latanya Weston, a nurse practitioner at Somatis. She's here to talk about patient-first health care and racial equity. Thanks for speaking with me today, Latanya. Hello, good morning. How are you today? It's great to finally meet you. Um, let's get started. So please talk about your background and your work for Somatis. Absolutely. Um, I'm from South Georgia. I grew up there my whole entire life. I always knew that I wanted to be a nurse. I used to um, go with my aunts sometime to visit patients in the home and, you know, it kind of piqued my interest. So I started out as a surgical technologist. I was the youngest person in the operating room at the age of 21. And I loved working in the operating room. Um, it didn't give me the opportunity to have a one-on-one relationship with the patients, um, which that was something I always desired. But while I was working in the operating room, I noticed how you know, a lot of times that would be um, procedures we would do, amputations, and they became one of the procedures that I despised the most because it was something about hearing the bone crack once we would cut through it, and it gave me chills. And during that time, most of those patients were African-Americans like myself, and it just broke my heart. And that gave me a desire as I continued working in the operating room. I wanted to be a part of solving that problem. I knew I couldn't save everyone, but I knew that that was something that I could do. So I started going back to nursing school to become a RN. And um, once I became an RN, I continued to work in the operating room. And then during that time, um, I had a tragic fall downstairs and injured myself. And working in the operating room became really hard and tough. And that kind of prompted me to go back to school to get my master's and become a nurse practitioner and be able to educate and be a part of preventing um, people from getting on the operating room table and getting dialysis catheters put in and getting amputations so I could educate and teach. So that's kind of how I got into working for Samadis being a part of the kidney disease um, family prevention and educating patients that are already on dialysis and those patients who could potentially be at risk for getting on dialysis. So what was it the accident or was it the the feeling that you had after the surgery that prompted you to to make the change? Um, I would have to say there were a number of things. One, my personal uh, experience with it. I had a sister that passed away at the age of 33. She oh, was, wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah, 
Yes, she had end-stage renal disease and was on dialysis, and she was not a candidate for a transplant because she, all her life, suffered from obesity, so she was unable to get a transplant, and I currently have a brother and a sister that is on dialysis. Um, that was one of the things, and then also the experience, and, you know, I never want, and I, when I share this story, a lot of people can't believe it, but I worked in the operating room 15 years. I never once put a dialysis catheter in none other than African-American person or did an application on anyone other than an African-American in 15 years. So that, and also when I had the accident, all those things together kind of gave me even more motivation to go back to school and once you're in the office and you're working one-on-one -on -one with them, you can have a relationship with them. You're able to teach. While I was working in the operating room, there's, there's only moments when you are able to talk to them and take them to the operating room and then they're gone. You don't see them again. But when you're working one-on-one -on -one with them, you're able to you know impact them more. You wrote that in your um, US News and World Report article, you wrote that uh, you could tell your patients of color didn't fully understand the implications of their disease. Can you go into that with some more detail and maybe break down where the, on the continuum between the provider instruction and patient understanding where that, that breakdown is? Absolutely. Many people are not even aware that they have chronic kidney disease and they don't understand exactly what it is because oftentimes you don't have any symptoms at all um, in the early stages. Once you do have symptoms, sometimes you may have a little bit of fatigue. Um, you may start having swelling in your legs or feet, um, different things like that. Maybe some itching of the skin. Um, Generally, you don't get that till later on. So when they come in, they don't realize they already have it until we do the lab work. So once you start discussing it with them, they clearly do not understand. And then in the African-American community, sometimes they, um, you may run into people who are illiterate. Um, they may not be able to read. And that's why I love Somatis because in our program, we actually will help them with that. Our patient health advocates will actually go out and assist them, you know, if they're having issues with being able to read and understand. And so when they come in, um, would come in the office when I was working in primary care, I would actually sit down with them and um, go through everything with them, educate them. I always wanted to make sure that when they left the office, they had something in hand. And if they had a family member that they could depend on, I always made sure the family members would would be with them when I would educate and teach them and, you know, build a rapport with them, have a relationship with them. So what is patient-first healthcare? Patient-first healthcare is value-based. We, we treat the patient whole instead of, you know, con considering or thinking about the number itself, the volume of patients that we have. We treat the whole patient, whether it be social determinants of health, mental instability because behavior health has a lot to do with a lot of times why some patients may not be compliant with their overall care plan. So we take a patient and we look at every aspect of their care. You know, when a patient is not being compliant with their care plan, there may be a reason because oftentimes we may think that patient is just being hard-headed when that may not be so. 
Okay, well, can you talk about uh, what impact this whole person approach that Somatis uh, Institute is making on kidney care with patients? Yes, ma'am. Um, we have been able to, you know, we call Somatis like another family when it comes to our patients. They can call upon us when they can't call anyone else. We our care team members going to our patient's home, we're able to spend time with them. Generally in a primary care setting, you will only get 15 minutes, sometimes 30 at the most. We go into the patient home, we're able to assess their surroundings to see if they're having any issues being able to afford their medications because medication com uh, compliance is one of the issues that can cause um, renal disease. And we make sure they have the appropriate foods that they need to eat. Um, we wanna make sure that have transportation, they're able to get to the doctor's appointments. That's another issue, one of the social determinants of health, um, access to care, being able to get there. We also want to make sure they have proper monitoring devices, like being able to check your blood pressure, being able to check your blood sugars as diabetes and high blood pressure are the top two things that cause kidney disease. We want to make sure that, you know, they have adequate social support family support. If they do not have that, then our social workers get involved. And all these things together, we have found that we have great outcomes. We have seen where our patients that had a lot of hospital admissions going back into the hospital, we have seen where those patients are no longer going in and out of the hospital, they call us first and we're able to address the issue that issues that they may be having. Then would you say that your education efforts are saving lives and preventing operations resulting from kidney disease? What are patients saying? Absolutely. We've actually had some patients, you know, say that we, we have saved their lives. We, you know, through our, we have registered dietitians on our teams. Sometimes it's just changing different things that you may be eating. You know, we've had um, people like, you know, sometimes, and it's difficult with the food insecurities because uh, unhealthy foods are sometimes, you know, the only thing that, you know, you can afford because they are cheaper. You know, it's hard to buy fresh produce all the time and getting canned goods, which are high in sodium and lowering your sodium content is very important when you have kidney disease and high blood pressure. So, you know, our dietitians will teach them, you know, if you can only afford cannulas, you want to make sure that you are draining them, rinsing them. We try to meet them where they are, you know, what, what they already have. And if we can, we reach out to community resources, to, you know, food pantries and different things to do whatever we can to make sure they have what they need. And, you know, we have a lot of people that, you know, will call us up and, you know, be very thankful. What about, do, do you have um, social workers helping, helping people uh, qualify for, say, Medicaid so that they can afford a wider variety of foods? Absolutely. So we do, um, and some of our um, patients are older, so they're not very sad, tech savvy. So mm -hmm. um, our social workers will help them uh, fill out applications for the SNAP program to see if they um, qualify. And also, um, when they cannot afford their medication, they'll help them with the extra help program 
to apply to see if they'll uh, qualify for extra help to pay for their medications. Um, and if um, they need assistance in the home, um, they don't have internet connections or anything like that, our PHA goes out out to the home with one of our um, laptops and we'll assist the social worker in getting it done. Hmm. I just want to pivot for a second. So you, you talked a little about your uh, early personal experience with kidney disease. Um, can you talk a little about um, your personal experience within your community? What did you see growing up? Well, um, like I told you earlier, I am from um, South Georgia mm-hmm. and um, it's a small town where it's grown just a little bit. <laughs> um, here in the uh, Atlanta area, there are more dialysis centers, but the small town where I am from, um, we had only two dialysis centers in which, you know, as I stated earlier, my sister, I can remember her uh, used to come pick her up from di- to go to dialysis, but I was so young. You know, my sister passed away when I was 15. I um, had no idea, you know, what dialysis was during that time, but I knew, um, kind of felt that it wasn't a good thing because she would, you know, be sick afterwards. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. But um, during that time, you know, I felt that it was keeping her alive. She was, you know, in my life a little longer because of dialysis during that time. And I used to see people all the time, their arms would be swollen and have these lumps on them. And I would hear people say, they're going to dialysis. And I used to think that's horrible, you know, and, you know, dialysis is doing that. You know, I definitely don't ever want to be on dialysis and don't want, you know, my family members or friends to have to experience that either. So 
And I forgot to mention that. That's another thing that kind of, you know, encouraged me to want to go back to school and do whatever I could to, you know, be a part of education and prevention. Wow, that's a lot. So it sounds like Samantis and yourself are making a huge difference in patients' lives. Absolutely. I, I, I actually working for Samantis was, you know, such a blessing because I always said that I wanted to be a part of, you know, prevention and, and on a spiritual level, you know, God told me this is what you wanted to do because I said that I wanted to prevent kidney disease, amputations, and, and, and different things. So when I had the opportunity to work for Samadis, it, you know, came to fruition. And, you know, it was such a blessing. And I, I believe in everything that Samadis is doing for the people. What do you guys do um, to improve health literacy? I know you send people out to, to people's homes, but like what specifically are you um, are doing to, to improve health literacy among patients? Because without okay. the health literacy, the other we, stuff doesn't make much of a difference, right? We, we have, and I know, um, you know, I mentioned about, you know, older people, um, patients being tech savvy. Um, we actually have webinars, you know, for our um, patients that they're able to log on to, to be educated concerning their kidney disease, you know, nutrition, you know, dietary measures. And um, like I said before, if they want to be a part of that, you know, our patient health advocates are more than willing to always go to their homes so they can be a part of that, you know, because as I spoke earlier, we have those people that are illiterate that do not read, uh, are able to read and write. I'm curious from your experience, um, you know, you talked about higher rates for kidney disease and kidney failure for people of color. Why do you think that is? Growing up in South Georgia, oh, my family was, was not, definitely not wealthy. A lot of times there was no insurance, you know, there was a gap in insurance and mm -hmm. um, just not able to afford it. And I see that a lot right now. People do not have insurance, um, although, you know, there have been some strides, you know, in education and you know, college graduates, you know, African-Americans still, you know, pay less to do the same job a lot of times, and they simply just cannot afford insurance. And therefore, their health needs are not taken care of. So by the time they do go to the doctor, they already have, you know, stage four, stage five kidney disease. Oh, wow. Yes, and end up on dialysis. Um, I've seen that through my work. And, and it's sad when you hear those stories, you know, it's too late. Um, also, um, in different communities, African-American as well as Hispanic, that's just not primary care centers in those areas. And if there are centers there, you know, they're not getting the best care that they need. So that's another problem. They don't have enough primary care centers in their neighborhoods and in their areas. And back to the knowledge deficit, they don't have the knowledge about their health, about their care, what they need to do. They don't know the medications that they are prescribed. They don't understand what they are for. So they don't know the importance of them. Therefore, they don't take them. They don't understand. I've had patients tell me, I feel better when my blood pressure is a little high, but they don't understand really? why. Absolutely. 
they feel better when their blood pressure is higher? Absolutely. And I'm going to explain that to you. Yeah, please do. If your body is using a high blood pressure, mm-hmm. of, of course, that's what your body is accustomed to. The moment you start taking your medications and your blood pressure normalized, you're going to be a little weak. You may be a little dizzy at first because that ah. is your, absolutely. So they've experienced their blood pressure at a normal level. And so it makes them a little sick. And so that's why they say, I feel better when my blood pressure is high. So I have to educate them and teach them, you know, that and um, work with them on taking their medications and ease them into it. And then, you know, get them to understand if their blood pressures continue to stay high, you know, what the outcome can be. And once you speak to them in that way, and then I write a lot of things and write pictures and things on paper for them as well, so they can understand it better. Wow. And, and, and also I do things, you know, with patients, you know, when I worked in primary care, if I had a patient who um, was overweight, had trouble with their diabetes, you know, I would do a diet with them and we would weigh in every week. So who lost the most weight? They love things like that. So that's why, that's how you treat the whole patient. One you, more question. Do you think um, having providers that look like you makes more, has more of an impact on patient outcomes than say someone from a different culture? It absolutely does. They love it. You know, and I've worked in in places where I was the only one that looked like me and um, it made a great impact. I would, you know, share personal stories with them and that would encourage them and motivate them. And that was going to be another thing I was going to share with you about, you know, um, why a lot of African-Americans are impacted by kidney disease because it's the lack of motivation. They're not motivated. When people have habits and they grew up a certain way and they're used to doing things mm-hmm. one way, they, they don't have the motivation to do better because they have grown up around people doing things the same way. And, and therefore, it's hard to get them motivated to do better a lot of times. So when they come in our office or I go into their home and they see me and then I share some of my story. And why I do what I do, it motivates them. And they, a lot of times I, I get to see them transition and change. That's absolutely amazing. It sounds like you're really making a difference in people's lives. And so this is preventing uh, a lot of uh, the hospitalization or rehospitalization. And what does that do in terms of like uh, people needing the dialysis or does that not change? It does. Um, Remember when I talked to you about people coming into the office and not knowing they have kidney disease Mm -hmm. and And it's too late, right? Too late. Mm -hmm. So when we have this program and we can prevent rehospitalization and actually control their blood pressures and their diabetes, then we can prevent them from what we call crashing into dialysis, like skipping over the stages and going directly to dialysis. So that's what we want to prevent. I would think you would also want to prevent the disease to begin with, like maybe earlier education so that um, people are not uh, eating the diets that that cause or exacerbate the kidney disease to begin with. 
that's one of the most important things that we do with our dietitians. We have some fantastic dietitians. Um, we we educate them and teach them how important the diet is because that's what the kids do. Our kidneys clean up. It filters the waste in our urine. You know the um, calcium, phosphorus, and we talk about all all the foods that you eat that has those things. Because if your kidneys are not working. And what's going to happen? All those things are going to build up in your blood. So once we explain it to them that way, they, they, they understand, oh, okay. Wow. Wow. You know, this is a, a, another thought that I, I had. And feel free to, to answer or not answer this one. But I was wondering about the regular consumption of alcohol. You know, everywhere you turn on TV, for example, you see you know, people partying and drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if that culture has sort of rubbed off on people and, you know, cause you, you hardly ever see people drinking water. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you always see people, you know, and it's become like a running theme or like mm -hmm. even a joke where you always see people with like alcohol and music mm -hmm. videos and movies and TV shows. Mm -hmm. I need a drink and they've got a drink in their hand. And I just wonder how much of that um, is part of the problem too. We deal with that too. We deal with addiction and substance abuse and, mm -hmm. you know, through our social workers, we're able to get them help as well. Um, a lot of our patients, um, you know, they have um, dealt with their substance abuse and alcoholism. Yeah, you know, but when we do get one who is still struggling with those issues, we, we do offer support for the alcoholism and we encourage them concerning you know alcohol consumption and the impact that it can have on renal functions but you're right you know I see that all the time you you don't hear people pushing you know water and drinking I deal with it with my own mom <laughs> she's, wow. she's not a water drinker I, you know and this is on a personal level when I was when I first started working in the operating room it changed my life I was very unhealthy I never drank water and I always ate fast food. I now have, I've only drank water since I was 23. I remember I used to ask my mom um, when I was um, growing up, well, why don't you drink some water? Why don't you drink some? And she'd say, I don't like the taste of it. Right. And then she'd say, and besides, I get my water from coffee. <laughs> no. And once you add something to it, it's no longer water. I tell you. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Once you add juice, once you add sugar, once you add anything to it, it's not pure water that your body needs anymore. I get my patients to pink is where I was like, pink is where I was like, for every coffee, you drink water. I said, for every soda, you got to drink some water. And believe it or not, it helps them cut back. Because <laughs> then oh, see, I thought to them, yeah. <laughs> Never understood that. You got to drink water. <laughs> Latanya Weston of Somatis. Thank you so much. This was a, a, a great conversation. Really great talking to you today about this. Uh, just keep doing the work, man. I really appreciate I you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening to Urban Health Weekly today. I hope you'll join me and my friends next week so you can stay informed and inspired to take control of your health. See you next time.